Hello, good evening everyone. Lucas and Marie here. What's going on? Glad to have you. Hi, thank you for tuning in this week, our second ever episode of the Come What May podcast. And if you listened last week and you're tuning in for the second episode, we appreciate you and we thank you for all of your support. And we'll appreciate any feedback that you might have. And if this is your first episode, welcome. And we encourage you to tune in to the first episode that we recorded a week ago, which was an introduction of us just introducing ourselves, but also talking about what we're looking to bring to you with this space. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about the Tyree Nichols situation, BLM, and how that... um, correlates with gender ideology and a lot of the things that we've been seeing in the media over the last um, couple years. So if you wouldn't mind giving us any feedback, any questions, concerns, or topics that you would like for us to cover, just send us an email to comewhatmaypodcast at yahoo.com. Again, that's comewhatmaypodcast at yahoo.com. And with that... And with that, uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter at Come What May, as well as look out for us on Facebook and Instagram, we'll be on there too, so you can find us there and reach out to us there with any questions, comments, or topics that you'd like us to to discuss. Yes, so our Twitter handle is CWM, in all caps, lowercase A-Y underscore podcast. So that's capital C, capital W, capital M, lowercase A-Y underscore podcast for Come What May podcast. Alrighty, let's get into it. Okay, so most of you probably have already heard about the situation or watched bits and pieces of the video, maybe saw the whole thing um, with the arrest and honestly just all out smackdown on this man beating um by the memphis scorpion unit unit in tennessee and there's been some talk about it it happened uh, a couple weeks ago honestly and it's only really getting a lot of attention now that some people are mobilizing to peacefully protest and A lot of different networks actually started talking about it now that they've seen the footage and um, our current president um, made a statement about it as well. And once that came out, I think that's when you really started seeing it because it it happened at the beginning of January, but no one was really talking about it. Mm -hmm. I've only seen a couple people talk about it recently. Go ahead. Um, But first, it's... It's about 20 plus minutes long and I watched it about two, two or three times and watched clips um, here and there as well. And it's one of those things where you have to really just look at it and take it for what it is. And I say that because the body cam, they clearly weren't concerned about being recorded. That's for sure. Um, And you can hear it by the remarks that they're making. But it was very shaky. You got a lot of different angles since they each had one. um, But you didn't really get a full understanding of just the pure and 
indecency, like just the rogue lack of concern for humanity without watching that street cam, which actually provided a very good view because you could see this man was detained and they're just taking turns, just roundhousing him, punching, beating, pulling out batons, like, and he had already been running and a lot of things. So we'll, we'll back up first. So the first image you see is the police pulling up to his car. He stopped. There's one police car in front of him. There's another one um, crooked to his left and then another one behind him. And you see a You see the camera of the cop running towards him, but there's already a a couple cops already getting to the car. So Tyree, he doesn't start to get out. You don't hear anything. The cop actually is already just full on, very aggressive, just rips the door open. He's screaming at him and he's just, he rips him out of the car. And honestly, Tyree has no idea what's going on, but you could see there's uh, there was a difference because you could see the cops' energy. They were just amped up. Like, they were just ready to go, yelling, screaming, carrying on. And for being someone that was just pulled over, especially in the early hours of the morning, Tyree was very composed. Like, he's just like, you're... Um, he's like, stop, like, I'm, I'm doing what you're saying. Like, he's getting down on his knees. Like, he's complying. He's like, you're you're doing a lot right now. Like... He, he's trying to like diffuse the situation and the cops just aren't having it. And they have the tasers out. They're pulling him in all different directions. Like you saw it, like they, they're giving him all these commands to lay down. He's trying to lay down. One has his arm to the left. So he can't lay down. Like it was just, they're telling him to do something, but not giving them the opportunity to do it. Right, and w- do you know what time it was that this uh, occurrence happened? It was like early morning. I don't have the actual time stamp. I but it was say. early morning. It was like late, late. And why were they pulling him over? They said for alleged reckless driving. So for reckless driving, they pull him over and immediately attack him with pure aggression. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was the craziest thing. And so he basically is in a situation where... I mean, I don't know how I would have reacted. I mean, knowing me, I'd be in tears. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you'd be crying. <laughs> I'd be like, help. <laughs> Somebody help me. But he he started, probably just went into fight or flight mode. And he's not going to, he's not about to fight five big, like they all had at least a hundred plus pounds on him. He was a skinny thing. Um, he's not about to fight them. So you're going to flight and so he was able to slide out of the taser that was on his sweatshirt or his t-shirt and he just bolted and And then after that it was on huh it was just on from there and you see a couple of them trying to chase after him and they didn't get very far which is not encouraging yeah they were huffing and puffing like crazy yes and the thing is the one it was complaining so at this point tyree's gotten away and the one's like complaining like he's out of be- out of breath like he's like wiping his face and this other guy other cop that was there he's like getting the water trying to like help wash it out of his face and they're talking about it. they're like he was really moving blah 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 like all this kind of stuff 
So then it fast forward to you see a couple other cop cars that weren't there at the time trying to figure out like where he went. So they're giving him direction and they're going. And the next thing you know, it cuts to when they actually do catch up with him. And I don't know how many blocks over it was, but he was in a neighborhood by that point. So it looked like he was trying to get to probably his own house mm-hmm. even. Um, and that's when they, they like had him on the, trying to have him on the ground. And he's, I mean, obviously he's agitated. He's scared and he's t- like trying to fight a little bit. Like he is resisting, but they're just meeting him with five times the amount of aggression that, he they met him with when they first pulled him over to begin with and they're just unnecessarily roughhousing this man mm-hmm. and he's like I'm, I'm doing what you're saying i'm doing what you're saying and then they're just it's just insane and it makes you wonder what was going through their head like is this a regular thing is this a like a out of body experience thing like has this happened before um, if the, is this regular behavior for them and it, it just seemed like they didn't have any training or they just didn't have any care for or respect for like other people. Um, and what was helpful is that by this point, like it cuts to the street cam and honestly it's by the grace of God that they even had it because that cam shows everything like we said at the top of the episode like this man is just they they propped him up so they already had him detained he was on the ground they stand him up to just start wailing on him and he can't fight back and you just see it just like pounding like you know it hurts this man has to be at least three really close to 300 pounds honestly like these are big guys and they're just taking turns pulling the baton out beating him like it just they each were just taking turns and what blew my mind was by the time that they're finally done and he's on the ground leaning up against one of the cars EMTs are there I don't know if they're stalling on their break I don't know what it was but they literally were just standing around Mm -hmm. and did nothing well that's usually what they do and well, I wouldn't say that about EMTs, but that's a strange event right there where the EMTs were involved and the firefighters were there and nobody stopped it. No one did anything. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, these guys, they they know their body cams are on, which there are some images where you see like the one guy that's like the main camera that was capturing everything. He like would put it down and mm-hmm. then put it back. Like, I don't know if he was just adjusting it or what. I don't know what their protocol is. I know some precincts, like, it stays on your body the entire time. You don't just take it off right. for something. Um, but he, like, put it down, put it back on. But you hear him, he's just like, the man tried to reach for my gun. And so then I had to, like, get in there. And, like, I was just beating him, blah, blah, blah. But in every image, this is why I watched it so many times, he never once reached for his gun. No, he didn't reach for his gun at all. So what are we seeing here? Just a complete lack of training? Or what do you think is happening here with this? Like, why are these police officers acting so aggressive in this instance? Like you mentioned earlier, is this just how they are all the time? And we're just now getting to see the true capacity of this 
force or what do you think is the issue here so i think it's a few things because memphis in general everyone knows memphis went from being a pretty decent area Mm -hmm. to just being very dangerous i was gonna say i don't want to say like a hellhole but it's it's somewhere Mm -hmm. that i would never want to even go within a hundred miles of no tennessee's a beautiful place too and i'd never want to visit memphis memphis it's 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 terrifying. It's just one of those cities, like a lot of them are turning into these days, where it's just not safe to go. And because of that, they were trying to really save the neighborhood. And all the civilians that were there were asking for, like, we need help, we need help, blah, blah, blah. So it was a few years back. I want to say it was 2017, 2018. I don't have the exact year, but they formed the Scorpion Unit. And so these officers were part of the Scorpion Unit. And that stands for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. Now, what the training was for this, I've I've seen some interviews and stuff like that saying the training probably wasn't that great and it was a rushed um, event and they brought on a lot of people, this, that, and the other. But I can't find anything specific to say if it was an accelerated training, if they went through like severe background checks, like I I can't find anything like that. So if I can, I'll definitely touch on that probably next week, the next couple of weeks, if it comes up just as like a highlight, because we want to make sure that we're giving you all of the facts. Um, But I can't find anything like that. So I would just assume they received proper training based off of the standard of that police department. Now, does that police department as a whole have a training problem? Because they were down, I think like a hundred plus officers to begin with. Right. Well, with everything going on, we've talked about is why would you want to be a cop right now when you're looked at as the enemy, when you're supposed to be out there doing a job protecting and serving, but everybody hates you. So most people aren't even signing up for that, number one. Number two, these police jobs don't pay anything. So they're just, they're literally like recruiting almost the dregs of society at this point to do these jobs, especially in the inner city where there's crime and violence everywhere. Mm -hmm. It takes a special person to want to be a cop in the first place to do something. Mm -hmm. But if it's just a job in some people's eyes, then Mm -hmm. they're going to go out there and do it if they're department is poorly funded especially with the defund the police movement going on Mm -hmm. they're not going to get good training and they're just going to act out of emotion and raw adrenaline and pretty much be rogue units and do whatever they want yep and basically you're just left at basically you just never know what you're going to get you're at the expense of however they're feeling that day Mm -hmm. and if you're in the right place at the wrong time Mm -hmm. um And it's interesting because when you talk about the climate and everything of police brutality and no one defund the police and no one wants to be a cop right now, you have to think about, well, why is that? And, you know, we have BLM, we have the media, we have a a bunch of different things. And everyone has their own opinions about BLM. Everyone has their own opinions about the media, the right, the left, the in-between, whole nine, but... I do want to touch on the the view did obviously they're going to cover it because they're one of the big 
round table networks that people watch during the day. And Sunny, she always makes questionable statements, um, especially given her background of having a law degree and um, being on paper highly educated. Um, She made a comment saying that it's because police brutality is so bad because Whoopi made a statement saying that doesn't matter if you're white, black, whatever, if you're a, it's a cop issue. And she just said the police brutality was the big, was the big thing. And she, and Sonny brought out a statistic saying that, um, a hundred people a month in the year of 2022 died at the hands of police brutality and so for me when I hear that I'm like well let me let me get the actual site in the statistic because she was like it's a there's a study it's proven blah 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 so I did a quick google search you know me and just typed in um, police brutality deaths uh, for in 2022 right And of course, the first thing that pops up is from Statista, which, and it says civilians having been shot by law enforcement. So it's not police brutality. It's being fatally shot by law enforcement. So we're missing a whole subsector of of instances where someone might have died at the hands of the police. So she's making this correlation where Tyree technically, and I hate to speak about it as if he's just a statistic, but his case would not fall within the 100 that she's talking about because those are strictly gunshots and he was not shot. It was not a uh, fatality from a police gunshot. But here's the thing that I want to talk about because two of the women there were talking about how they watched the video being white women saying that they needed to watch because they needed to know, they needed to um, understand what other um, mothers go through since they don't have to have that conversation with their children. And the one woman said she always thinks about Sonny and Whoopi having to have these conversations with their sons and how she hadn't had to have that conversation, just the fear of knowing that they need to act a certain way when they come across police officers. But if we want to link all of them together, Sonny pulled that statistic. So I pulled it up and it's 1,096 civilians were shot by law enforcement, fatally shot in 2022. Now, 389 of those people were white. 225 of them were black. 120 of them were Hispanic. 22 were other and 341 were unknown. Now, a known can be anything. They might be biracial. They might not have said, like, it just might not have been disclosed, might not have known. It could, it could be a variety of things. And the fact that you have these two women on there saying that they don't have this conversation with their kids because they're white poses a very concerning twist on things because 
if we're looking at the data here, and this is the same statistic that she's pulling, it has to be because this is the first thing that pulls up and it matches to a T because she said about 100 and it comes out to 91.6 or so um, fatalities per month. If anything, white women should be having the same conversation with their kids. If that's the if that's the stance that they're taking. Yeah, so how many fatal shootings are there a year involving the police? So at for in twenty twenty two there was one thousand and ninety six civilians having been shot fatally shot by law enforcement. One thousand and ninety six. Mm-hmm. And you said how many a month were white? So so they said it was a hundred per month. But out of the 1,000, 389 were white. Oh, so there's no race specific for that monthly count. It's just 100 shootings per month. Correct. And out of that 1,096, how many were white? 389. And you have the percentages down? I don't have the percentages for that. But I did go into for 2023 so far, which only counts for January of this year up to the 25th. And 17 were white, 7 were black, 5 were Hispanic, and 50 were unknown. So that's 79 total. Well, so what this statistic shows, what this is saying, that more white people are killed by the cops, basically? Yes. Well, that's, yeah, see, and and you're saying that them two white ladies are upset because they don't have this conversation with their kids because they were saying they're trying to understand what it's like to have that conversation what it's like because they don't have to have that conversation yeah which is very strange because like when i was growing up my mom always told me about the cops because she knew how dangerous they were to everybody not Mm -hmm. just black people exactly yeah so then it makes you think it's like are they doing a disservice to their own children by not saying something are you i don't want to say they're part of the problem but you're acting like it's just one subsector of people that have this issue and mm-hmm. that could produce a mentality in the kid to think that they don't have anything to worry about. Mm-hmm. But like, they don't have to be fearful of the police because really we shouldn't have to be. We shouldn't be. Most of the time I'm not. Most of the time I'm not, but I try to avoid all interactions with them. Exactly. Because you just never know what you're going to get. They mm-hmm. could be having a bad day. Well, that's the thing, too, about the police is they're people, too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them don't have the skill set to leave their home problems Mm-mm. at home. So they bring all their home problems to work. And mm-hmm. if you look at the statistics, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's like 60% or more of cops are either violent towards their spouse mm-hmm. or involved in some sort of divorce process. Mm-hmm. And they have all this stuff going on at home that they bring with them to work. Mm-hmm. I have like a double-edged sword, I don't know, double-minded type of view, I guess, with the police. Because to me, they got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, could you imagine if you had to go to work every day and you're, say you're like on the crash unit and you're dealing with mangled bodies and car crashes every day mm-hmm. and all this stuff. It seems like a lot of the times the police are dealing with so much trauma mm-hmm. day in and day out that they may or may not become numb to it. And then mm-hmm. that correlates into when they're dealing with individuals, mm-hmm. they don't really think about the consequences or the actions. They just have a lot going on, I think. And then they don't receive proper counseling, proper training, they don't receive mental health care, mm-hmm. and they they got the short end of the stick, and now they're the enemy on top of mm-hmm. all of that. 
the cops shouldn't be the enemy. 50 years ago, the cops were like walking around the neighborhood, hanging out with the kids. The kids were looking up to them. The people looked up to them. And mm-hmm. there was a understanding that they're here to help. And then what happened? There wasn't a whole ton of crime going yep. on. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a lot the organized safer. mobsters. Well, yeah. But they were getting, everybody's getting paid. They were on the payroll. Yeah. So, like, everyone was living mm-hmm. high and mighty at the time. But, like, so what did they do? They ended up taking police officers and the job. And, I mean, back then, probably more of, like, a regular 9 to 5 and gave them 9 to 5 responsibilities. They had quotas. Well, not only did they have quotas, but since then, we've also introduced the drug war, mm-hmm. which usually targets not just black people but the poorer class citizens mm-hmm. and uh, as i've always said it's the war on drugs isn't a war on drugs it's a war on you mm-hmm. and that's part of the big problem is now that they're just where are you going to go find drugs in poor mm-hmm. communities where are you, what are you going to find in poor communities mm-hmm. a lot of black people mm-hmm. and so they're going to become more statistics but you're also going to find tons of poor white people to mess with and it mm-hmm. just becomes a massive cycle of the government and the agencies against poor people. And mm-hmm. it seems like, I mean, that's kind of what it's always been, for at least for the last 40 years, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be some standard or some commonality or some characteristic that shows who is on the bottom, like who mm-hmm. that person's going to be, whether it's the person that's on drugs, whether it's the poor person, whether the person that happens to be poor and in an, a poor area that has drugs and happen they happen to be black like it, mm-hmm. it's all of those things working together but they had to be able to establish a standard so what do you do you make it harder for people to make money so someone's going to have to have that issue and back then it was minorities so then they're not making as much so they have to live in areas that aren't are more impoverished but you know they get by they're still happy go lucky and they start flooding drugs in there mm-hmm. and the prison industry is like a some 797 billion dollar industry i don't know exact number but that's probably very close to what the number is mm-hmm. industry if you're making 700 billion dollars a year well you need to keep them prisons full so what are you gonna do mm-hmm. who's the easiest to target the poor people, the poor whites, the mm-hmm. poor blacks, the poor Hispanics. It's always a war on poor people. And it's amazing how much money they can make off of mm-hmm. poor people. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. And the thing is, a lot of the top banks in America were the ones funding and investing in private prisons. Mm-hmm. That came out, what was that, 2019? And then all of them were like, oh, we stopped. That's kind of funny how like <laughs> Chase Bank and stuff will... Um, <laughs> What do they censor and what do they call it? Cancel people for their mm-hmm. political views, yet they're funding the dismantling of the black family through yeah. their private industry prison yeah. investments. Like we we <laughs> stopped. <laughs> it was like them, Bank of America, uh, PNC Bank. Uh, There's a couple others. Those are the big ones. And people were just losing their minds. I was like, but that's public knowledge. You can find that information out there. Mm-hmm. It's always funny, too, how they say that we stopped. Like, that's the common, I guess, excuse for all these things. Mm -hmm. Like, Operation Mockingbird with the CIA taking over the media. Well, we don't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Do you? (laughs) Did you stop? (laughs) And something I did want to touch on, because getting back to them talking about how 
they don't need to have this conversation about how to interact with police or have this fear that their child could have a poor interaction and be injured or possibly die. I want to go over some of the U.S. population statistics. So as of the end of 2021, 59.3% of the population were white, 18.9% of the population were Hispanic, 12.6% were black. Now in 2020, the black population was 12.2%. So it did go up. And then in 2022, it was 13.6%. So it's going up. But according to the African American Literature Book Club, in 2022, blacks were committing 60% of all crimes. Um, So it just, it kind of makes you wonder, like, well... What crimes are these? Because they're not saying violent crimes necessarily. It could be drug related. It could be minor things, but they get like maximum sentences. It could be a variety of things. Um, but if there's less, black people make up a small portion of the population. Why is it that they're committing 60% of the crimes? I don't know. Well, I mean, I I probably do know why. I mean, it could be a variety of things. So, like, the government sending all the drugs into the area. Drugs, guns, mm -hmm. lack of opportunity there. Poverty. Poverty is... Usually, I think the biggest thing of crime, for the most part, is poverty. Mm -hmm. And there's no opportunities. Now, you can go out and find opportunities if you want. We can absolutely do that. But in the general area you're not going to find opportunity because there's so much crime. There's not Mm -hmm. going to be a business. Isn't going to move in when there's a ton of crime there. Mm -hmm. You have to want to move out. But like I've seen before, I watch a lot of documentaries of like these guys, like going into the hood and talking to the people there. They all want to live there. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course you're going to have people that want to get out, but for the most part, they're like, I grew up here. My daddy lived here. I'm going to die here. I want to be here. I'm for the streets. The streets are for me. And then you get into the reason they're saying that. They, well, they don't have their daddy's already dead or in prison, mm-hmm. so they're not around. They haven't been in, involved in their life, and it's it's circumstance is what it really comes down. You to. You know what? Let's let's forget about the poverty aspect and let's get into the fatherlessness because that's the true mm-hmm. problem. The poor environment obviously breeds bad decisions. Trying to eat, trying to survive, trying to make money, right? Mm-hmm. But the lack of fathers is really. The statistically, it's like 90% of children that don't have fathers end up in some kind of criminal activity. Yes. and But the thing is, the statistic itself about fatherlessness is skewed because, and I need to do a little bit more research on this, but they're doing that based off of like how people file their taxes or a bunch of different other ways to mm-hmm. do the polling. And the thing is, when you live in an impoverished area and you need and you rely on government assistance Mm -hmm. being married is one of the biggest disabilities for you Mm -hmm. because you're not going to get as much money you're not going to get the aid you're looking for and to a lot of people that's a lifeline Mm -hmm. so they just say the dad's not around 
See, this is the thing I wanted to talk about, too, is all these people want to scream systemic racism and all this stuff, but then they never bring up these points that you're bringing up where to, like, let's take it like this. The mothers Mm -hmm. get government assistance, and like you said, if you're married, you're not going to get that government assistance. A lot of the stipulation on Section 8 houses, especially, like, in the large projects or housing developments or whatever, say you cannot have men here. Mm-hmm. So it's like incentivizing women to be single moms. And mm-hmm. it, it almost seems like there is like a systemic racism thing, but it's not, they're not talking about what it really is. They're just saying, oh, these institutions are out to get us, blah, blah, blah. They don't want to talk about the welfare. They don't want to talk about the fatherlessness. They don't want to talk about the reasons why they're in the position that they're in. They want to blame the white man, do all this mm-hmm. when you're what, who was it that said, we'll give them welfare and they'll never try to do anything else? LBJ. LBJ. So, Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm-hmm. What was this, 1960 or something? Uh, 1968, 70s. Yeah, so they 70s. literally come out and say, we're going to give you all this free stuff and it's going to make you not want to do anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And you keep going. I believe it was Malcolm X that said, the white liberal is like a sly fox and to look out for them because they're going to act like they're on your team when really they're out to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's very interesting that we have all these people, like Black Lives Matter and all this, screaming racism and all this, but they don't look at any of the facts or the evidence to, to where is mm-hmm. the racism or what it is. They just want to divide us and call me racist mm-hmm. or you racist, but they're not like looking at what made their situation mm-hmm. happen. It's systemic in the way that like a lot of these topics are being defined incorrectly Mm -hmm. like fatherlessness a lot of the fathers are still around in these situations but the character of the father is a very different thing Mm -hmm. and so when i um was taking one of my courses a few years back they were talking about circumstance and i forget exactly what they called it so i mean I, I learned something, but I just don't remember that specifically. Yeah, you'll have that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they are talking about how um, these kids will grow up in these areas and how you're talking about this one guy's like, or a lot of them are saying, like, I'm from the streets, I'll die here, the streets are for me, blah, blah, blah. Like, their uncles, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, they all lived in this area, didn't leave, mm-hmm. didn't do much else, et cetera, et cetera. And when that's all you know... And they just talk about like, oh, the athletes, they're the one-offs. Oh, the guy that went, that got a free ride to Harvard or he ended up getting his CDL and stuff like that. Oh, those are just one-offs and stuff like that. And a lot of times those situations, those individuals don't want to come back Mm -hmm. because it's that mindset. It's that group think it's toxic because if everyone around you is just peddling the same thing, you're not going to want to venture out much more to do anything different. And there's no one talking about doing anything different. Like there's no diversity of thought. No. And I think that's why people need to really look at BLM and look at liberals, progressives, and look at the things that they're pushing And look at the definitions of what they're saying. Because if you look at what they're putting out there, fatherlessness and poverty and 
destroying the nuclear family. All these different things. I mean, that's systemic only because of a lot of the government assistance that they started pushing back with, was that FDR in like the 50s and the 60s or something like that? Maybe in the 40s? Where they're giving all of this assistance and put it, making it possible to like get aid and stuff. I'm trying to remember when it actually was. I wasn't planning on talking about this today, so I don't, I don't have it, but basically it was biased against black people. It was harder for black people to get this assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, It was easier for white people to get it. It was easier for, single women to get it and so what are you going to do like they're going to put themselves in a situation so they can get it of course and once you're in that situation then you start breaking it up which is what you're talking about like it the breakup of the nuclear family because all these families were thriving yeah what was it black wall street and even Mm -hmm. in like the 40s and 50s black families had massive you know, wealth and all kinds mm-hmm. of different things that was completely destroyed through whatever the process, most likely welfare mm-hmm. and government handouts, basically socialism mm-hmm. in a nutshell. And that's the same thing BLM is talking about. They're trained Marxist and all this. Did you want to get back on the topic? Cause we definitely went on a tangent. Yes. Okay. So it was, it's the welfare <laughs> stuff, but we can yeah. talk about that later and we can bring all the actual statistics with that. But One thing I did want to note with Tyree Nichols is that they keep saying the five cops involved, the five, the five, the Mm -hmm. five, four of them have prior violations and there isn't too much information to know what the repercussions were for that or if they like had training or penalties or anything like that. But you and I were talking about this. When you watch the police cam from the first few minutes where they're first stopping him and ripping him out of the car and doing all that stuff, the hands you're seeing, it is a white hand that that body cam belongs to. And as it continues, there's like it's that same camera and he's like getting the water, picking up his glasses, pouring the water on his friend to like help him get the pepper spray or whatever out of his eyes. But the media is only talking about these five black cops that are part of the Scorpion unit. It was only so this has been going on for a few weeks. It was only a day ago that they even I want to say arrested or he got fired. Um, this guy and he was white. So part of me thinks why didn't anyone why didn't the media like address the fact that like there was somebody else there they barely talked about the emts they barely talked about the firefighters but they were seemed to be hung up on that it was like five black cops that were abusing this black civilian and they were using this as a way to say the police are Police are bad no matter what. What it really comes down to, I think it was Ben Crump that said this. He said that it comes down to the race of the victim. It doesn't matter who the cop is. The cop is the cop and cops are bad, basically. But he said it all comes down to how that situation is going to go and what the outcome is going to be is 
down to what the race of the person being pulled over or the victim is. Didn't they also say that the training was from white people, so the cops are white supremacists? Yeah, so they're trying to say that <laughs> the trainers, like it's it's a white system, the trainers were white, and that's why it would, um, that's why it's white supremacy, because white supremacy like built this system, systemic racism and so all that kind of stuff. is there a certain way that you've noticed that the media is trying to spin this into a racial debate, or are they just spinning this into all cops are bad debate? So it's mostly just talking about white supremacy and just saying it's systemic. Um, They're looking at the black cops and just taking it for what it is. They're kind of dismissing that. They're just like black, white, whatever. If you're a cop, you're bad. Yeah, they're just getting rid of the race part because it doesn't play into any Mm -hmm. agenda for them. And I think part of that comes into BLM, and BLM has been nowhere on this. No, why would they? They're not even in black communities when black people kill each other. Black Lives Matter isn't going to be there. See, and that's the thing, and I think that's part of the problem because for a long time, the black community were just like, we'll take care of it ourselves. We don't need the police. Like, Mm -hmm. the streets, like, we'll handle it here. Just stay out, stay out. And it's just, this is one of those situations where Memphis was like, no, we need cops, we need cops. Fix it, fix it. And then the cops that are supposed to fix it, the Scorpion unit are actually making it worse. And I think the reason we're not seeing anything get better anywhere is because black lives matter was all to serve a purpose for a bigger agenda. And so everything that we've said today, just as a caveat is all truth facts. You can find it online. Most of it I just Googled. Um, but the BLM stuff that we want to talk about now I mean, I was always skeptical of BLM and I'm a black woman um, because I didn't, I never experienced a lot of the things that they're talking about or what they were trying to peddle and say, this is what the experience is for black Americans and black lives matter. Like they want to be raising money and putting it back into black communities and helping them get back to quote unquote black wall street and do all these different things and be wealthy and affluent and have better lives for themselves. But the money wasn't going to them. So like all of the different, um, situations that they talk about police brutality and fatalities of black individuals, mostly black men, um, all of those families, none of them were getting any money from Black Lives Matter. No, didn't most of the money go to like gender affirming organizations and LGBTQ organizations? And mm-hmm. then it also went to a lot of mansions and mm-hmm. probably fancy cars and shrimp boils. Yeah. So it basically it was millions. Like when we say millions of dollars, I Honestly, it could be upwards of billions. All donated by your local white woke liberal. Like, I need to pull those numbers, and I'm not sure if I'll be able to. But It was like 900 million or something outrageous. It was an an insane Mm -hmm. amount of money. And the documentary that Candace Owens put together with The Daily Wire... Um. That was the one with George Floyd's family and or mm-hmm. friends that the the place that he stayed at. Yes. Yeah, it's called the greatest lie ever sold. It was supposed to be 
Greatest Light Ever Told, and then all this other stuff came out about where the money was going to. It was a good documentary. <laughs> it it was, showed out what George Floyd pretty much died of a fentanyl overdose. Mm-hmm. Crazy. But he was, I mean, he was definitely most likely brutalized by the cops in the mm-hmm. process, but he didn't die because mm-hmm. of that, right? No. And so we won't go into specifics about that, but we will recommend the documentary. Like, if I personally have my own opinions about Candace Owens um, and what she does, does or does not do, whether her words line up with her actions, so on and so forth, based on what she says her mission is. But that'll be a conversation for another day because eventually we do want to talk about the different conservative influencers, important people, whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. um, and how their message doesn't always map to what they're saying they're trying to push like I've, I've noticed a lot of the times and i'm only going to touch on the super quick is they're i don't want to say they're inciting a riot or they're inciting violence but they're inciting aggression like they're trying to make people more angry and people that are normally conservative or moderate are usually more level-headed maybe that's the reason maybe they know that and that's the reason they're trying to push people to aggression or i wouldn't say violence either but the only way to get people to change and do something is to get them pissed off enough to do something about it. Maybe that's their angle. I also, I mean, I know what you're talking about and we'll get into that on a different episode about these people, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So definitely recommend watching it because it, it talks about where all the money was going to. And that's why I want to talk about gender ideology today. Like it all, it all maps together because it's targeting vulnerable people and, all the millions I wanted, I think it was like 80 something billion dollars. That might be a stretch. Um, it was a ton of money, but it all was going to different gender ideology or LGBT like, um, communities for children mm-hmm. in Canada, California. And, all over the country in a lot of these um, companies, if you're, if she like goes through the process of like calling them and they're not really legitimate companies. Yeah. I, I forgot about that point. That's very interesting. You bring that up. Cause that's exactly what happened. She called all these companies to see where the money is or what they're doing. With no it. one and would answer. No one would answer or somebody would. And it was like just a shell company for some nonsense. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about that too. I forget what I was going to say. Carry on. <laughs> no, it's about <laughs> all the, the gender ideology stuff. And it was really just about funneling this money into a lot of the not even so much lgbtq stuff but it was transgender things and helping basically targeted at children yeah and that's all i was gonna say there with that last thought was that she basically hooked up all her gay friends that's where that's where i was going (laughs) (laughs) and it, it just Basically, that's where the money was going. And so when you look at this, you have 
if you want to take the media for the narrative that they're pushing that black people are considered vulnerable given the system and BLM was supposed to be an organization that was going to help the communities and help these families. Basically, they took advantage of America and the fact that people didn't want to be seen as ignorant, didn't want to be seen as like not caring, and they wanted to contribute just so they could say that they did. They gave all this money. And none of this money went for what they said it was going to do. None of the money went to these communities. None of the money went to the families of those who lost their children, siblings, anything like that. It it went to transgender studies, gender ideology type of things. And it just, it makes you wonder like, Why? And it just shows you that it's really just targeting vulnerable individuals. And people can do whatever they want to do. Like, what is it? Let the Romans do what the Romans are going to do or something like that. That's what I always say, yeah. Yeah, like basically people are free to do what they want within reason. Mm -hmm. It's America. It's a free country. I don't care if you're white black yellow straight homosexual like you are free to live your life the way that you want to without infringing upon anybody else's and within the confines of what is legal which is not harming the most vulnerable which we could talk about race and things all day, but the most vulnerable are children. Correct. The most vulnerable people are children, and it seems like that's who they're going after, and we're going to try and dig into why and give you a little bit more background on exactly what is happening and why, and I guess the explain the vulnerable people that they're targeting with this gender ideology. So basically what I've found is there's a link between people with gender dysphoria and people with autism spectrum disorder. Uh, In this article here from PubMed, this is clinical research, shows at least around 20% of gender identity clinically assessed individuals reported a clinical range that features autism spectrum disorder. So they say that they can cautiously conclude that co-occurring gender dysphoria and autism spectrum disorder is frequent. So this is your scientists and your, I guess, scholars coming together and doing research and they're finding out that gender dysphoria and autism are linked together. And there's a lot of different studies going on right now that are showing basically that they are targeting autistic kids, which would I would say are probably some of our most vulnerable in this country with their gender ideology. So what does that kind of mean for us right now? It kind of means to me that the whole gender ideology deal that they got going on 
is like a, I don't want to say a, well, it is a fad for sure, but they're targeting kids who otherwise would may not be popular, who have disorders, who have a lot of things going on with them that alienates them from society, that aren't good at communicating, that just have a wide spectrum of problems. And by giving them, by saying, you could be a young autistic kid, right? And have female or feminine traits and immediately because of what's happened in society with the gender transitions and what are they called transgender people Mm -hmm. they're immediately saying oh you're probably transgender so an autistic kid hears this and immediately is going to go with it because it's being pushed by their family their school their parents and they're having gender reassignment surgeries and the thing is, and you think about that, people that are autistic, um, people that are considered a minority or have a disability or anything like that, they're looking for a community to feel accepted. They don't want to feel different. Exactly. And when you take individuals like that, they should be classified as some of the most vulnerable individuals in our communities in our country, in the world. And these individuals are just longing to be accepted and to be treated well and to have friends and to be seen as something more normal. They want an explanation for why they might have a cognitive delay or why they might not speak the same way as other people, why they might not look the same as other people. And it just makes you think like you have these doctors and pharmacists and pharmaceutical companies just preying on these individuals because they know that they want to feel accepted and that's why they call it gender affirming care Mm -hmm. because they're affirming them it's all about emotions they're trying to appeal to them saying like you know you're probably a boy like just imagine like we can give you this surgery that'll make you feel so much better you'll be your true self you decide who you are you decide like what body parts you can have we can make that possible for you And when you have someone, especially in these situations where if it's autistic, depending on where on the spectrum they fall, um, depending on apparently how early it could have been caught and like how they have someone working with them, their mental, their, their brain could be underdeveloped. Like they could have the mentality of, or like the cognitive um, ability of a five-year-old, but be 12. So there's a, there's a seven-year difference. So, and they're saying a lot of people, if after going through these surgeries at a young age, let's say it's like 10 years or so later, they start having some issues or, because it's all experimental at this point. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been around long enough to know what the long-term side effects are they could then start saying like, well, maybe I made a mistake and I don't know what to do. And when, when you're a teenager, when you have the mentality of a teenager, you're not fully developed, you're not mature, it can seem like the end of the world. 
Absolutely. And I, I don't even want to just talk about purely the autistic kids because mm-hmm. a lot of children, you don't even have to be autistic. But like you said, just seeking out friends or as a teenager, you're trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. That's what you're trying to do in school. And if you don't fit in, you are ostracized from your community. Mm-hmm. You don't get selected for whatever activities there might be. And someone comes along and says, hey, you can join this group. Of course, teenagers are going to go into that group. Of course, mm-hmm. ki- autistic kids especially are going to want to join that group because then it fits them into the normal category. Mm-hmm. Because if you now, if you look, I don't know exactly what the statistic is right now, but it's a high amount of people or youth that are now identifying as some sort of transgender, bi, binet, bi, what is it called? Non-binary, mm-hmm. all these different pronouns and whatever. And it's easy, it's like they're, they know, and they've been studying this for hundreds of years, how people's minds work. Mm-hmm. And they're, they know how children's minds work and how to get them to adopt agendas and adopt these different outlooks and mindsets on life to get them to do whatever the powers that be want them to do, right? And when you see the media or your teachers or adults are favoring these individuals then they're just like i want to be important like Mm -hmm. i want to be favored too i want to be a star and so that's Mm -hmm. why you're and i don't want to belittle anything or make anyone feel bad or anything like that that's not my intent i'm not trying to be um insensitive Mm -hmm. but that is a correlation between people coming up with zay them they them um, sir, sis, sin, like all these different variations of him, his, he, him, his, she, her, hers, all those, these different variations because they want to stand out. They want to be different. Mm-hmm. They want to be the star. They want to, they want to be recognized when they yeah. weren't being recognized before. And they see that if I say I'm this, well, this is what's popular. Everybody's cheering for me. If I'm, if I'm a dude and I become the prom queen, I'm going to get newspaper articles written about me. I'm mm-hmm. going to be the headlines. I'm going to be this, that, and the other. And then another thing I wanted to talk about as well with that is we already know the statistics of suicide within these groups, but I have a, another PubMed article right here just talking about autism and suicide. And I'm going to go ahead and read it to you real quick. It says, nearly 14% of adolescents reported a previous suicide attempt. Disparities by gender identity and suicide attempts were found. Female to male adolescents reported the highest rate of attempted suicide, 50%. Followed by adolescents who identified as not exclusively male or female, 41.8%. Male to female adolescents, 29 to 9%. Questioning adolescents, 27.9%. Female adolescents, 17.6%. And male adolescents, 9.8%. Identifying as non-heterosexual exacerbated the risk for all adolescents except for those who did not exclusively identify as male or female, i.e. non-binary. For transgender adolescents, no other socio-demographic characteristic was associated with suicide attempts. This is transgender adolescent suicide behavior. So just alone, not even being autistic, 
the kids who identify as some sort of transgender, be it non-binary or whatever, are greatly increased risk of suicides, right? Mm-hmm. And then I have, um, I think that's it I have for that. Oh, the autism, dis- depression, and risk of suicide. So for autistic people, let me read through this real quick. Mm-hmm. Oh, right here. People with autism are four times more likely to develop depression than the general population. It is even considered as the most common mental health condition in people with autism spectrum disorders. And this is all from PubMed government website where they publish medical documents and clinical trial findings and conclusions. Mm -hmm. So basically, to get back to the main point after giving you that information, not only are teenagers that are not autistic Mm -hmm. greatly increased suicide risk with their transgender ideologies that are forced upon them that aren't even their own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Then you have autistic kids who are already at higher risk for suicide and depression, four times the risk of depression Mm -hmm. in autistic kids compared to non-autistic kids Mm -hmm. then you go ahead and throw the all the gender nonsense on them and it's a disaster we're absolutely living in probably one of the worst times to be a teenager in this country especially an autistic teenager with this when we haven't even seen the repercussions of what's coming our way through all of this nonsense yet and it's kind of like gen z and the generation below them they're they're the guinea pigs right now. Mm-hmm. Really, Gen Z's the guinea pigs, and then the generation after them are going to be the ones getting the mm-hmm. more improved or what versions of things. And, and just to talk about the depression, in 2022, approximately 2.5 million adolescents were diagnosed with depression. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that was, I mean, think about it. People were isolated during the lockdowns. They weren't. In interacting with other kids like they were left by themselves a lot of the time just only on social media that isolation can lead to depression especially in kids absolutely just that isolation in general from being away from everybody is easily especially if you don't have your own hobbies or things to do even if you do man it gets boring doing your own hobbies by yourself and i can Mm -hmm. only imagine what it'd be like for kids who are used to playing with each other used Mm -hmm. to being outside used to seeing their friends to deal with all that and then you come back to school when it's finally time and you haven't recovered from these incidents Mm -hmm. and they're trying to say that you could be anything in the world you want you could be a tree if you want to these kids have got to be so confused Mm -hmm. so it's just incredible to me what's happening and then on top of that like i mean we've already said this but to come back to school depressed confused and then they're pushing that you can be zay zim z za you're gonna lose your mind exactly (laughs) and the thing is we're already on these antidepressants so i'm just gonna go through some quick facts Whereas the top treatment for for depression is ssris which is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors those on antidepressants have a 33% higher chance of dying prematurely mm-hmm. with 14% more likely to experience cardiovascular events such as stroke and heart attack. Mm-hmm. Most common form of death by individuals on these SSRIs 
is intentional overdose. Of course. The FDA confirmed that these SSRIs lead to madness in all age groups. Madness. Madness in all age groups. You can find that on the FDA's website. If you just Google it, it's a quick Google search. So, go ahead, carry on. An SSRI is also directly associated with a significant increased risk of dementia. Okay, so if you are on, you can't say let's let's just lay out a story here. Mm-hmm. You're on COVID lockdown. Yep. Not seeing any of your friends and family. Yep. You develop depression. They put you on SSIRIs, whatever selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Mm-hmm. You're already at a greater chance of all these factors. Mm-hmm. Then you go to school. So you develop madness, right? This is what the FDA mm-hmm. says is very common. <laughs> madness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go to school, learn more madness. I don't even have words to describe it. Like, what is going on? It's honestly, it's just a variety of things. And people, they just want to keep prescribing different things. And a lot of the... You started hearing about transgenderism more commonly about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And mostly with um, the life as jazz with this little boy on TLC whose parents were affirming him. Say, he thought he was a girl and he mm-hmm. wanted to be a girl and stuff like that. And it says suicide was highest with those around the age of 24 that were on antidepressants, specifically SSRIs, for an extended period of time, which if these children are already on antidepressants and then they're being um, bombarded in a lot of ways with this gender ideology in schools and then they go through these surgeries because they can start as early as like 12 or 11 years old. Insanity. By the time they're getting to the age of 22 23 they're on medication for the surgeries they're on these antidepressants and they're just filling themselves and they're they've clinically gone mad Mm -hmm. and what how are you going to relieve madness more drugs or suicide Mm -hmm. so i don't want to get too deep into the conspiracies but you know we'll always go there before you get to the conspiracy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I'm talking about the experimenting of like, you said more drugs, right? More drugs. Marketing of ketamine is being prescribed to adolescents as a depression treatment. Though mm-hmm. marketed to possibly limit suicidal thoughts, the side effects of ketamine antidepressants are mild hallucinations, feeling uneasy, double vision, difficulty speaking, numbness to name a few and the reason i bring that up is because a few few years ago there was this little boy on good morning american and he was a drag kid Mm -hmm. and they dressed him up like a girl and you know using drag and they did this whole segment and it was supposed to be a nice light-hearted whatever whatever but then a video came out of this child on YouTube with drag queens, with a drag queen doing some sort of a video. A full-grown adult, by the way. A full-grown adult male. Yes, with this little boy. And 
the little boy demonstrates snorting ketamine. They literally say it in the video, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to say that he is on ketamine or he has done ketamine. But if they're putting that out there just a few years ago when this kid's a child going through God knows what, mm-hmm. his parents are parading him around <clears throat> as America's drag kid. And he's being pushed ketamine. And this is also the drug that they're saying that they're that they're testing with children to deal with any depress to deal with depressant depression and to deal with suicidal thoughts. So it makes you wonder, is this kid depressed? Well, most likely, but I do know that ketamine has always been like a large party drug in the party mm-hmm. raver scene and different things. So it may be just one of them things where they're trying to push that to get kids more addicted to drugs and into certain debaucherous mm-hmm. things. I mean, once you go down the drag queen transgender route, I'm sure you're going to be involved in a whole lot of debauchery, especially when your mentors like being that young kid doing that ketamine snorting action that he did. When your mentors, the people that you're hanging out with, are 40-year-old dudes dressed as women, you're in for a wild ride, okay? And we're going to talk about... This isn't really conspiracy. I just want to get your thoughts on this. It's kind of conspiracy, kind of not, okay? (laughs) Every conspiracy known to man has been proven true. Exactly. So So. let's call it what it is. (laughs) All right, so the pharmaceutical companies pay for like 90% or I think it's 70% of all television ads. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like we've talked about one of the reasons why they're pushing this stuff is because just like you mentioned earlier, when you get a kid, put him on antidepressants because he's sad or depressed or whatever, boom, you got a customer, right? Mm -hmm. But eventually you could get off of the antidepressants. You could find God, you could find a higher purpose, you could find family, love, fortune, whatever it is, you could just pull yourself out of depression. I mean, a lot of people suffer from from depression. I'm not trying to downplay the condition, but many, many, many people get out of it. There's a season for everything. Depression is often a season of life. It doesn't have to be your life unless you want it to. If that's what you identify as, do you. Anyway. (laughs) anyway it's not being sensitive well trying not to (laughs) but they're pushing all of these different pharmaceuticals and i think these gender reaffirming or um what is it reassignment surgeries and different Mm -hmm. things they now have a customer for life if you get your penis turned inside out into a fake vagina which side note all these transgender what are they men or women what a, mm-hmm. what a man to woman whatever and get these fake vaginas they're out here like shaming women talking about how great their vaginas are and how they're the superior vagina have you seen these things no i haven't but what i will say <laughs> is that actually that was part of one of the episodes of life as jazz or something like that now that he's older and he had this surgery like he doesn't he was struggling because his mom's like we paid all this money for you to have this surgery like you need to go through the steps to clean it yeah so that's what i'm getting at is once you get this surgery done there's a lot of work that goes into it 
I'm sure a lot of pharmaceuticals to keep from infection, do mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. I think there's something you have to shove up in there so it doesn't close. Mm-hmm. So essentially you have a gaping wound, mm-hmm. which requires wound care, pharmaceuticals, mental health disorders, obviously are going to stem from that. And it seems to me like the whole thing is a massive, I don't know, conspiracy or just money-making scheme for the pharmaceutical companies to have customers for life. Just like I believe, and which I've seen to pretty much be true, mm-hmm. is with most cancer treatments, Western medicine in general, mm-hmm. is to make money. If you didn't know, I would say, I wouldn't say all because I don't know for sure, but most of the United States hospitals are for-profit organizations. I'll say the Private government doesn't run them. They're not state sponsored. Mm-mm. They are for profit. So if you're going to Western medicine or any hospital, and great as they may be, they do a lot of good work. I'm not saying they don't, mm-hmm. but just know that they're not in it to save you. They're in it to make money off of you. And if you think about it, like people care about th- three things, health, wealth, family. Mm-hmm. And those the, are the things they're trying to destroy. That's the thing. Cause if you think about Wealth, where do you store your wealth? The bank, those are private for profit. Mm -hmm. Health, you want to go to the hospital, they're private for profit. And family, they're targeting your family. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you want to do whatever you can because you want to make as much money as you possibly can and stay as healthy as you can so you can provide for your family. Right. And they're going to prey on that. So when you have both of these working together and... The one in the middle is health, and it's the hospitals and the pharmaceutical companies, and they're the ones telling you your family will be better off if you get this, that, and the other, Mm -hmm. and you want your kids to be happy, but they're going to need this gender-affirming care and these surgeries, and we can do it for you. Like, where, where do you go? Exactly, and what I don't understand, too, is with these pharmaceutical companies, especially we'll name the big one that's all over the media, and this, by the way, this podcast is sponsored by Pfizer. (laughs) <laughs> is that so, a, an sponsored, algorithm sponsored by Pfizer algorithm you've seen it so but like them they've had these billion dollar lawsuits for criminal medical malpractice right mm-hmm. and it's not just them many many other large pharmaceutical companies have had these massive malpractice lawsuits Moderna Moderna Johnson, Johnson and Johnson. Johnson. Now, l- before I Johnson? continue, Johnson and Johnson was putting, what were they put, like asbestos or something weird in their talcum powder and giving millions of women breast cancer and just craziness. And this has been going, and there was like a, whoever makes, uh, what's the what's the other thing for Tylenol? Aspirin. Asp- there, were, there was like H- HIV in the aspirin. And instead of just getting rid of it, they gave it to some poor African country to use. Okay, this is the madness that we're dealing with. And this is not conspiracy. This is all facts. You could look this up if you're so inclined. But the, accidentally. The, accidentally. But accidentally. To get to my point, I guess, is that these companies are, for one, criminal. Number two, involved in all these criminal indictments. But then at the end of the day, everybody is like so enamored with giving them their support like Pfizer saving the day with this and all these they're the largest you know pharmaceutical company and they're here for America yet they have no liability 
when they do get in trouble, it's, oh, pay this $6 billion fine, which they've come out and said when they pay these fines, like $6 billion, they consider it the cost of doing business. It's not like, oh, we shouldn't do that. We're in trouble. No, oh, just cost of doing business. And it's just amazing to me how many people are blinded by you, you see it all the time. Like it'll be a commercial for psoriasis, right? And it, you see them ones all the time on the TV. Mm-hmm. Oh, take this drug; it'll get rid of your psoriasis, but you'll have increased risk of depression. You'll piss blood. Your urinary tract will inflame and probably fall apart. And people rush to go get this stuff. It just—it's incredible to me. And now I'm not saying there's not a place for pharmaceuticals at all. I'm not saying that, but in the 1920s. The Rockefeller Science Foundation discovered that they could make pharmaceutical drugs out of, I guess, byproduct, oil and gas byproducts, basically. So most of these pharmaceuticals they're using are not good for you. If you want to take it away. I mean, you you unpacked a lot there. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) So that's, I mean, that's all I just wanted to get out there is that these pharmaceutical companies that people are like in love with, especially in the recent years, are not who you think they are. They have a long track record of harming the American citizen. And then real quick, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. Because at the end of the day, (laughs) before we get a little deeper... You have to think about the fact these are private, for-profit organizations. They have numbers they need to hit. Mm -hmm. Hospitals should not have numbers they need to hit. They should not have sales goals. They should not have a number of patients that should be coming through that door every single day. That's right. But that's exactly what's happening. Pharmaceutical companies are the same way. They're producing these drugs. They need people to be able to take these drugs. They're spending all this money to produce it. They need to make a profit. And we're the test test dummies. We're the ones that they want to sell to. So at the end of the day, we are all numbers to them. That's right. That's why you have a social security number. I mean, I I wouldn't even thought about that, but yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly right. When you become a number, you become reduced to what somebody else sees you as. That's right. And when you are reduced to what someone else believes that you are, that is when you become expendable. Yep, you become expendable. And and truth be told, these people, especially in these high positions, CEO of some massive pharmaceutical company, they look at you as if you're nothing. You're nobody to them. Mm-hmm. You're just a num- another number, just like you said, that's going to provide them money. Hopefully they can get you hooked on Oxycontin, and then you'll do heroin, and then you'll do Suboxone, and they'll have a customer out of you. And maybe if you die... Well, then they'll collect your insurance policy. And Who knows? They got to be getting a cut out of that insurance policy. I, I would imagine. And what we need to think about with that, um, you just really need to be careful. And we want to just make sure that people understand not all pharmacists are bad. Not all doctors are bad. Not all bankers are bad. Not all... N- n- not everyone is 
out to be deceptive and are evil and are full of just hatred for humankind. A lot of it is at the top. And now we talk about truth. And the truth of the matter is, a lot of us are getting our direction from the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do look to science as the end all be all. Mm-hmm. And when you have the people that are quote unquote owning the science and driving the science are the heads of pharmaceutical companies that have to also drive sales and achieve results, you will never be able to completely know the truth of what they're doing because they're because their objective is skewed and it's biased by the fact that they need to hit certain profit margins. So no, not all doctors are bad. Not all nurses are bad. Nurses are, are necessary. Doctors are necessary. A lot of them are good people. They're on the round. They're working holidays. They're doing all these things for us. That's, that's not what we're saying. It's not them. A lot of times it's, it's not the people in between it's not the cogs moving this machine it's the people that built the machine at the top that's right i got an interesting point real quick about nurses okay Mm -hmm. this is interesting i have a lot of nurse friends be careful i will be i love nurses let's get that out of the way i'm a commercial truck driver so Mm -hmm. i have to do physicals all the time Mm -hmm. and i oftentimes i do them at the local emergency room Mm because they do them there you know what i mean when when i went to the hospital the nurses loved you the nurses (laughs) are phenomenal the nicest (laughs) ladies i've ever met they're always great okay now but what i will say is this is just interesting to me okay Mm -hmm. during the height of the so-called pandemic right Mm -hmm. we had hundreds of videos of nurses dancing in (laughs) (laughs) them tiktok videos of these nurses dancing in a very choreographed manner right I mean, it was pretty impressive. It's I'm not going to lie. I was like, wow, way to just relieve some stress. Well, hold on now. Uh-oh. It's very impressive. Okay. But have you ever watched anybody make a TikTok where they're doing some sort of choreographed dance? It takes hours usually. It takes hours. Well, unless you're good because... Okay, slow down. I, my sister and I, we made one and it only took us about... Well, I mean, we have an extensive dance background but it only took us about 15 minutes okay it took you to 15 minutes all right now let's get eight other people (laughs) which let's just be reasonable and say five of them do not know how to dance they're nurses they're good people but they don't know what the heck they're doing okay (laughs) so we have you know videos of seven to nine to ten let's be reasonable let's say ten nurses Mm -hmm. six of them have no idea how to dance Mm-hmm. And they're dancing this great choreographed dance. Mm-hmm. When did they take the time to do this? When did they take the time to learn this? Somebody had to show them what to do. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. This takes hours. Oh, yeah. Weren't they all working like they double, triple shifts? They were supposed to be working <laughs> double, triple shifts. 
They were supposed to have full hospitals. When do they have the time to do these choreographed long form dances that would have taken hours to learn and do? That's my question. I'm going to leave it to the guests or the audience to, <laughs> to take from that what they will. But remember what I said. This is height of the pandemic. Hospitals are supposed to be full. And we're getting hundreds of these long choreographed if dances. thousands. <laughs> okay. Just so keep that in mind when we're talking about what And their scrubs were down. Like they had matching outfits. Okay. So, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> send us an email. <laughs> or a... Uh, Tweet us, so on and so forth. <laughs> Let us know. If you're a nurse out there, when did you have the time? I think the answer we'll get, I'm just speculating now, is that <laughs> there was nothing really going on and they had all the time in the world. That's the reason no. why these videos were produced. Oh. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they were at one of the hospitals that weren't overrun. They, but the media was saying they were all overrun. Well, that's also the media. They needed everybody to stay at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's all I got for that. I just thought that that part about the nurses. I love nurses. They're great people. Don't <laughs> think I don't. I just thought that was interesting that in the height of the pandemic, when they're supposed to be busy as shit, they're dancing. <laughs> but, but you said you had a conspiracy. Did I? I have all kinds of conspiracies. You said not to be a conspiracy, but maybe that was about the nurses. That was about the pharmaceutical companies. And then you told me to turn it down. Like, well, what were you going to say? Oh, there was something I was going to get a little deeper into. Yeah. But my mind is all over the place after talking about all this. So I don't know. Weren't you going to talk about BLM and how they're doing all the... Oh, the witchcraft. I think that's what you were going to probably oh, talk about. Oh, let's get into the BLM and the witchcraft That's what happens when you're married. Is, <laughs> yeah. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> all right. So, just real quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know how much we need to get into this, but... Since we talked about BLM, I just thought it'd be interesting if some of you may not know that uh, BLM was also deeply involved in witchcraft and things of that nature, talking to spirits. And this is proven. This is proven. I've got a quote right here just to throw it out there. It says uh, this is in a recorded phone conversation with Patrice Cullors and a California State University professor of African studies. And if you're not aware, Patrice Cullors is one of the Mm co-founders and self-proclaimed Marxist of BLM. Correct. So this lady, Malena Abdullah, is a University of California professor talking to Patrice Cullors, Patrice Cullors, whatever. Mm -hmm. And she said, maybe I'm sharing too much, but we've become very intimate with the spirits that we call on a regular she explained, like each of them seems to have a different presence and personality, you know. I laugh a lot with Wakisha, you know, and I didn't meet her in her body. I met her through this work. This is just something interesting that I, I found that, uh, you know, these people are involved in witchcraft. Anybody that's talking with spirits, you should probably stay away from. I mean, the Bible is clear that we should not converse with the dead or, or call upon spirits. I don't know how much we need to get into that, but I just thought it was interesting to bring up since we were talking about BLM earlier. Yeah, and something that we will do at some point, but that we'll get into a lot of the... We'll do an episode or two or sporadically, and it'll be probably a very a detailed, probably longer episode about the spiritual type stuff. 
just because like you and I would be talking where like the apocalypse show on Netflix and a lot of just the different things out there, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, all that kind of stuff, where a lot of these spirits are coming from. Cause you see here, she's talking about like, she's, she said spirits, like yeah. multiple and they all, I guess like serve in different purposes mm-hmm. or something like that. And I feel like we could probably get into the weeds of, all the different spirits and how a lot of them correlate and tie together and what they're actually talking about. I agree. And we'll definitely get into that at some point, but I think for tonight, I think that's all we got. huh? Yeah. So ultimately the truth of the matter is Tyree Nichols. He was brutally beaten by police and he was complying. He did try to flee but he tried to flee after the intense aggression and brutal actions that he was being met with from the very beginning of the interaction. And he died, was it a few hours later, um, after getting to the hospital. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is autism and gender would be dysphoria Mm -hmm. are scientifically and clinically being linked and our most vulnerable members of society here in the States and at large are being targeted and exploited and for profit for profit. And we need to, protect them i agree i couldn't have said it better thanks everybody for listening if you want to check us out follow us on twitter go ahead drop that twitter link again our twitter is a capital c a capital w capital m lowercase a y c w may underscore podcast and if you want to send us an email you can email us at come what may podcast at yahoo.com. All right. And look out for us on other social media platforms such as Instagram and Facebook. We'll be on there soon enough. And thanks everybody. Bye. Thank you.